BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. The debate across California about just how long school should be out because of the COVID-19 pandemic is intensifying. California's superintendent of schools is telling districts to prepare for learning outside the classroom for the rest of the school year. That plan isn't exactly being embraced across the state. KQED's Julia McAvoy has the details. All 58 superintendents met with state schools head Tony Thurman by phone to try and find consensus around how long schools would be out. Some wanted a mid-April check-in on the status of the coronavirus that might have allowed them to consider physically reopening schools if it was safe. But Thurmond is now calling upon everyone to plan on extending distance learning through the rest of the school calendar. Thursday, Thurmond is holding a webinar for special education teachers to share best practices for distance learning for students with special education needs. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Well, Governor Gavin Newsom is urging Californians to check in on their elderly relatives and neighbors who have been told to isolate themselves at home during the outbreak. KQED politics reporter Katie Orr has details on the new initiative. Isolation might be a good way to stay physically healthy, but it can take an emotional toll. Governor Newsom says a call, text, or physically distanced knock on the door can help seniors get what they need right now, whether that's some food or just someone to talk to. I don't want to be hearing stories that someone finally knocked on a door and no one answered, only to find out when they opened that door that someone had passed away because we didn't meet the moment. The state has also launched a new hotline seniors can call to be connected with resources in their area, such as grocery and medication deliveries. That number is 833-544-2374. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Let's go to the Central Coast now. That's where we find a California distillery that's changed its production line from making booze to bottling hand sanitizer made with ethanol to help with the acute shortage. Similar ingredients, different recipe. KCBX's Greta Mart brings us that story from Paso Robles. For years, Ehrenberg has been making spirits. Rums, gins, liqueurs, whiskey, brandy, a little bit of everything. Berg now runs the Cowwise Spirits Company in Paso Robles. Our flagship spirit is our Big Sur gin that we make from grapes and native plants that grow in Big Sur. But the pandemic has changed all that. Berg says he started hearing about a shortage of hand sanitizer and figured while it may be sold out at local stores, hospitals and first responders must have a steady supply. These people who I assumed had access to this stuff do not, and they're scrambling looking for it so that they can 
continue to, to serve the community and take care of people. So within a matter of 12 hours, I started producing hand sanitizer and getting it out to people. He got the recipe and guidelines from the federal agency that regulates distilleries. For the first time ever, as far as I know, the FDA and the federal government has given distilleries emergency authority to make hand sanitizer, which, which, is, which is crazy. I, I never thought I would ever see something like that. Berg's phones are ringing almost nonstop these days, people looking to buy his sanitizer. For the time being, he has enough of the necessary ingredients, high-proof alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, glycerin. Even getting his hands on those proved challenging until he reached out to the local business community and got what he needed. A CBD oil producer had extra bottles. A Paso Robles flavor extract producer had extra hydrogen peroxide. All U.S. distilleries have permission to manufacture hand sanitizer through at least June 30th. So far, Berg's made about 200 gallons. Joe Barton, co-owner of Crowbard Craft Distillery in Paso Robles, started making sanitizer to use at his own retail store when crowds descended before the stay-at-home orders. Speaking inside his distillery, he said the wider need for sanitizer by hospitals, public safety, grocery stores quickly became apparent. For us, it's been almost mind-blowing to see how there isn't a whole lot there, and and it won't just be us. Every distillery needs to try to help because there's such a lack that no, not one person here can fill it. Liking it to how 9-11 changed air travel forever, Barton says the coronavirus pandemic has changed his outlook. This period of time is probably going to be life-changing for all of us. I think there'll be a lot of things that we do in life that won't ever be the same because of this experience. Barton estimates he's bottled and sold a few hundred gallons of sanitizer so far, and he plans to continue making it until the pandemic wanes. Then he'll return to producing gin, vodka, and brandy, and welcoming crowds back to his Paso Robles property and tasting room. For the California Report, I'm Greta Mart in San Luis Obispo County. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. That's my brother, Amir. He is a surgeon here in the Bay Area, and with this deluge of news on COVID-19, I called him up the other day for help. You know, I've been trying to wrap my head around this story. It's confusing. So I asked him, are we missing anything? And I think the one thing that people can do right now is uh, to use masks. That caught my attention because public health officials have been saying for weeks not to use masks. I would totally agree with the idea of avoiding buying masks because if the healthcare workers don't have them, the entire healthcare system can collapse. But making them at home is very effective. And a number of studies, probably 30 or more, have shown that masks, even homemade masks, can have a tremendous effect in stopping the kind of particles that uh, these viruses transport on. So not buying masks, but making your own or getting a homemade mask might help, he says. And one of the characteristics of this disease is the people who are infected don't know they're infected. They're going out in the community and by you wearing a mask, you're protecting your loved ones, you're protecting the people that are providing services to us, the clerk at the grocery store, the person taking out your, uh, picking up your garbage. So you're protecting everyone when you wear a mask. Got it. Okay. Do you mind if I fact check you? I have to fact check you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing personal. Uh, that's not a problem. So I called up Dr. George Rutherford, who heads up the Division of Infectious Disease and Global Epidemiology at UC San Francisco. You know, as crazy as it sounds, masks are not in themselves necessarily very protective for you. 
they're protective for the people around you if you're infectious. So it's the kind of reverse logic. Dr. Rutherford still isn't recommending buying masks, and he says wearing them can actually encourage people to touch their faces, so don't do that. But he says there is some merit to homemade masks. What you're trying to do is cut down on you sneezing and coughing on people. So if that helps, that's, you know, it's better than nothing. Dr. Rutherford says the important thing is to make sure you're also covering your nose. And there are people all around this state making masks for themselves and other Californians. Read about it on kqednews.org. As cases of coronavirus begin to show up in prisons, jails, and immigration detention centers across the country, the tens of thousands of people who are being held while awaiting immigration hearings are starting to panic. Here in California, lawyers have filed suit demanding the release of 13 immigrant detainees at high medical risk. In partnership with KQED, the Marshall Project's Emily Cassie reports. Solomon Medina Calderon is one of the immigrants named in a lawsuit against Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He's raised six children over three decades in the U.S. At 56 years old, Solomon is nearly blind and has acute diabetes. Solomon says he doesn't want to die in an ICE detention center, and that if he contracts the virus, he wants to spend his last moments with his family. He's being held at the Yuba County Jail. It's a blocky beige facility holding both county jail inmates and about 170 immigrant detainees. He says it's a ticking time bomb. He says detainees were told to wash their hands more, but they just received two bars of soap for 50 people, and those were gone in hours. Salomon has been in detention for over a year, while his daughter Guadalupe Medina petitions for his green card. Now, Guadalupe, who's a U.S. citizen and a high school English teacher, is fighting for her dad's immediate release. She says she wakes up every morning thinking of him. Is he, you know, able to wash his hands? Um, are there other inmates in there who are starting to have symptoms? The fact that we cannot do anything for him just creates a lot of stress. So every time he calls, I, I wonder, you know, would this be the last time that I'll be actually speaking to my dad? Hayden Rodarte is one of the lawyers suing on behalf of Salomon and other detainees. He fears they run out of time. I think our chief concern is that it's already too late. As the scenario gets worse and worse around the country, is that individuals will die. Across the country, immigrants in detention are waging hunger strikes. And advocates are filing lawsuits for the release of the most vulnerable. So far, four people in ICE custody have tested positive for COVID-19, all of them in New Jersey. County Correctional Facility. This call will be monitored and recorded to accept it. It's almost impossible to have a social distancing since every single bed that is separated by one foot and a half. At one jail in Essex County, multiple guards and at least one detainee have the virus. That's David. He didn't want to use his last name for fear of retribution. He came here from Guatemala when he was 16. His parents are American citizens, and so is his son, who's about to turn two. I'm missing a lot of time to be with my son, and uh, I'm a responsible father, and it's, it's, it's very sad. David's biggest fear is of dying inside the facility. I, I potentially can lose my life in, in this place. It's like we are paying a life sentence in here without committing a crime. Some judges have ordered sick or elderly detainees released from Essex and other detention centers in New Jersey. 
But as the virus continues to spread, the fight continues for the almost 40,000 immigrants being held across the country. For The California Report, I'm Emily Cassie. ICE declined to comment on the concerns raised about conditions in detention, but officials with the Yuba County Jail have said that their medical provider is following CDC guidelines, the jail is disinfected, and soap is provided free of charge. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, April 1st, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Dramali. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Personal Capital, offering financial planning with registered advisors and serving over 2 million people with online financial tools, personalcapital.com and Stanford HealthCare, offering every kind of care for every kind of patient. Learn more at stanfordhealthcare.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 